Well, welcome to Maranatha. If you're visiting with us, we're so glad that you're joining us, uh, either in person or for those who may be joining us watching online. Uh, we're glad that you are gathering and worshiping together with us. If you are new, we'd love to have you fill out a little yellow sheet in, our, in the pews there, and you can drop that in the offering box on your way out. Um, and just let us know that you're here if you wanted to get in more information about any of the ministries that we have here at Maranatha, or if you've been attending for a while and you're wanting to get plugged in and find out a way that you can use the gifts that God has given you to help build up the body of Christ, you can mark that on there as well. We'd love to follow up with you and help you get plugged in. Uh, a reminder that um, here in this kind of new season of, of things at Maranatha, as we're trying something different with one service, um, but we're also offering adult discipleship groups. Uh, so after the service, if you haven't gotten plugged into one of those, and you, but you're thinking about it, we'd love to still invite you to jump into one today. Uh, we have one that we'll gather in here after the coffee fellowship time. Uh, Pastor Aaron will be leading that one in, in place of Pastor Cody today because he's out of town. Um, and then we have in the other building Acts, a study of Acts, a study of Colossians, and a study that's going through uh, looking at biblical worldviews. And today they're looking at Biblical worldview versus Christian nationalism. So if you're interested in that uh, very hot topic, uh, that's going to be in the other building as well. So love to get uh, as many adults plugged into those as possible and, and young adults as well. We do have kids in youth Sunday school in the other building too. Um, men's retreat is on March 10th and 11th at Arrowhead. And the registration is available on our website. So if you go to the homepage there, maranathafree.com, you can sign up on the, on the scrolling banners that pass through there. Uh, it is uh, $60, I believe, is the cost for that. I would love to have as many um, high school and up, um, I think is what is open to any high schoolers or um, older uh, men can, can join and be a part of that. A great time of fellowship and getting to know other men. I've seen a lot of guys connect in ways that they don't maybe normally connect on a Sunday morning, and it's, a, it's just a rich time together. So we'd love to encourage as many men um, to join us as possible. And if you have friends who maybe don't have a church home, that could be a great way for them to get connected in as well. So invite them to join with that. Uh, we do have a retreat coming up for uh, the youth as well. Uh, we do a spring retreat. Uh, this year it's, it's called a Tri-County Youth Jamboree. Uh, it's basically our spring retreat. Sometimes it's been just for middle schoolers. This year it's for middle school and high schoolers out at Arrowhead. Uh, we're doing that out at Arrowhead as well. That's April 14 and 15. So save the date for that. We hope to have some brochures available later this week for the youth and families regarding the details of that. Uh, the youth are also doing their Christie Mountain ski trip. Again, that got bumped. It was originally going to be last uh, just yesterday, but we bumped it two weeks back to March 4th. And that's open to anybody. I mean, we're going out there. Um, it's not uh, like a youth-only event, and that is not actually a picture of me, but uh, I have done some crazy things out at Christie Mountain and other ski places. Um, but as I get older, I do get a little bit wiser, and I do fewer of those things because my body hurts. Um, don't recover as quickly. Uh, but again, anybody in the church that likes to ski or wants to learn how to ski, I mean, they do lessons out there at Christie Mountain as well. I would love to have anybody who wants to come join us, just meet us out there. Again, we're, we're not really providing much for like rides or chaperoning. So just if you want to come out, um, meet us out there. I uh, would love to enjoy that time together. VBS Save the Date is June 19th through 23rd. So if you don't have that already on your calendar, Pastor Aaron has sent out some some teasers, some, uh, some emails trying to see who can guess the theme for VBS. So if you haven't seen those kids, ask your parents uh, to find the email in their email box and see if you can help find out what the theme is, uh, June 19th through 23rd. Um, and there will be more details in the weeks and 
month ahead here on that as well. And then uh, finally, I want to uh, just celebrate. We haven't uh, done a celebration in a little while. We want to celebrate what happened here at Maranatha last weekend. We had uh, Bob Lenz sharing and his wife, Carol, uh, for our morning service. Bob preached, but then in the evening, Bob and Carol shared a wonderful time for our Valentine's event. So thank you so much to all of those who were involved in helping put that on. I think we had, I think, 62 couples. Does that sound about right? Somewhere around there, 62 couples that were able to participate, and a lot of laughs, a lot of fun times together, um, great food, and just connecting um, both as couples, but also with other, other couples in the church. So we, we thank so much all of those who were a part of putting that event on. And uh, out of that, we announced, uh, so if you were there, you heard me share a little bit about this, but um, over the years, we've done, we have our, our resource center out there, and that's part of this broader faith at home initiative that we've done, where we try to help families uh, equip and encourage and resource families to do discipleship at home, believing that that's the biblical model, uh, that uh, we're not the professionals here, uh, even though some of us have gone to school for doing ministry, but uh, the the parents are the primary disciples of their kids. We believe that firmly as a church, and we want to be partner with you as parents, uh, as a church family. And uh, so we've done different, different things. As part of that, we've done some campaigns over the years. So we're starting a new campaign that's uh, focused. This one is, is uh, focused on married couples. So if you're not married, I apologize, uh, but uh, we really want to focus for just a few months, uh, a little campaign, a marriage date challenge. So challenging couples to be intentional in going on dates together. That's easier for engaged or dating couples to do. They call them dating couples because that's what they do is they, they spend a lot of time dating. But married life gets busy and crazy and kids and all of those things and it gets harder to be intentional. So we want to encourage couples who are married to be intentional in going on dates. Uh, the goal is twice a month from the, for this challenge and uh, we're going to do that through May is the challenge. So starting immediately, and I didn't announce this, I don't think, but if you went to the date night, the marriage or the Valentine's event, that counts as a date night. So you already got one of them down. So mark that on your sheet. Um, it's already, you've already halfway to the goal of two for the month of February. Uh, so two per month. And then in addition to that, we want to encourage couples to consider doing a marriage Bible study or reading a marriage book together. And... Uh, and so those are the things that we're encouraging you to do between now and basically June 4th is when this is going to wrap up. So it's kind of through the end of May there. Um, and then we have uh, some sheets that are at the welcome desk out there that say marriage challenge on them. So if you want to participate, uh, grab one of these and you can just kind of record you know, the, the different things. And this can be intentional time outside of the, the house or sometimes, you know, Doing a date night in, in the home is, is easy and simple, but, but very meaningful as well. Watching a movie together, or, but it's that intentionality of just quality time together. Um, so you can mark it on there. There's some date uh, ideas on the back. There are some, a list of um, study or book ideas and some you know, child care ideas, swapping with another couple. I'll watch your kids. Hey, while well, you guys go out on a date, you guys watch our kids when we go on a date if you're at that stage of life. Some of you are blessed with grandparents nearby that can be a help with that too. Um, and then the prizes for this. So every two dates that you go on per month, your name gets entered into a prize, a drawing that will happen at the end of this challenge. Uh, so, so basically your, your names, if you, go to, if you date 
your spouse twice in February, your name gets entered in once. If you go on four dates in February, you get entered in twice for the month of February. So each month that you do that, you have a chance to get your name entered in more times into the drawing. And there's three prizes at the end of this. The first prize is a two-night stay at a hotel with meals included. And then the second prize is a $50 gift card to a restaurant of your choice. And then the third prize is a book, uh, a, a marriage book that, uh, it's, if I can say this here, it's called Married Sex. It's a Christian's couple guide to reimagining your love life. It's written by Gary Thomas, a wonderful author, Gary Thomas and Deborah Fletta. Uh, so those are the three prizes. The names uh, that will be put into the drawing will, the more you go on dates, the more opportunity you'll have to uh, win one of those prizes. So just a, a fun challenge that we want to do, encouraging couples to be intentional with their relationships during this season, flowing out of our Valentine's event. So with this, I'm going to pray and invite Pastor Aaron then to come up and preach this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this time that we gather. I pray now as we open your word together as your people that you would uh, speak to us. We believe that your word is alive and active, that uh, it is powerful for correcting and rebuking and training and encouraging us in our lives. And I thank you for Pastor Aaron and his um, commitment to, to you and to your word as he is prepared this week. I pray that you would speak by your spirit through him this morning to each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Thank you, Pastor Tony. That uh, date night initiative is truly great. My wife and I went on uh, several dates last year. It's not on. Can you hear me now? <laughs> Pay no attention to the man behind the man. Um, uh, as I date night initiative is uh, a great opportunity for couples. My wife and I went on several. Uh, was able to go on. Were able to go on several dates last year. And on an unrelated note, uh, our baby is due in March. I'm going to be in trouble for that later. Um, but truly, that is a great, uh, a great opportunity um, to get together as a couple and just spend time together and uh, not rediscover each other, but get to know each other deeper. Um, I uh, grew up in the church, and uh, my dad was a, a pastor at a, a Baptist church. Many of you know that. And one thing I truly miss about... Uh, church and church culture that uh, has gone away in probably the past 20 years is going to church on Sunday night. Anybody remember that? Going to church on Sunday night. Imagine spending the whole day with the people of God. It was a great opportunity. And one of my favorite things actually wasn't at church, but rather it was uh, on the way to church. I would go in uh, often with my with my dad. And on our drive there, um, it was, it was between 4 and 5 o'clock was the time where the Gaither vocal band hour was on. Anybody like the Gaithers? Anybody like the Gaithers? I, uh, so I grew up loving the Gaithers. Uh, my dad loves the Gaithers. He loves uh, that kind of music. My mom cannot stand southern gospel music. Uh, my dad has taken her, I think, to several Gaither concerts against her will. But um, the Gaithers are great, and they have some great... Um, ballads and different songs, and I wanted to share one with you this morning, one of my favorites that I still listen to to this day, uh, as it is a great reminder. So I'm just going to read the first verse and uh, chorus for you. 
The angels got together in the great throne room, thought they'd pass some time by picking a tune. Michael on guitar, Raphael on mandolin, and Gabe, he was the leader on the old violin. I think it was an elder said, what you gonna play? Amazing Grace, or how about Happy Day? The strings were all tuned and they were tapping their feet, but just when they were ready to play the first beat, God walked in the room and a hush filled the air. Gabriel put down his bow and moved down to second chair. It's not a bill that's up to be voted on. It became a law when he wrote it in stone. Number one on the list of his big ten, and when he came to earth, he said it again. It's been the same way since the beginning of time, so don't be fooled into thinking that it's not a crime. He made it plain and clear it's not a rhyme or a riddle. God don't play second fiddle. One of my favorites, I encourage you to look it up, it's called Second Fiddle, a great, great song, great music, great voices singing it, but it's a great reminder in a unique way about the place that our God is supposed to take in our lives. And that is what Jesus reminds us of this morning. So we've been in our series in Mark, turn to Mark if you would, Mark chapter uh, 12, We're in Mark chapter 12. We're skipping ahead a little bit. Uh, Pastor Cody gave me the passage when he mapped it out, and as I was working on my sermon, um, this came up, and some things came up, so we're going to be going backwards in in chapter 12 next week. But turn in your Bibles to chapter 12, and we're going to be beginning in verse 28. Mark has been a a great book talking about Messiahship and discipleship, and specifically within the... uh, Mark is really all about the service of Christ, in his messiahship. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. That's the, that's the message of the book of Mark. Within the aspects of discipleship, within the aspects of messiahship, that is the, what is at the root of the book of Mark. And Mark chapter 12 is no different. So uh, Jesus is having uh, a, a discourse with his followers, and um, some Pharisees decide to interrupt them, as they like to do, and they're, they're having a back and forth, and then a scribe comes to Jesus and asks him a question. Mark chapter 12, verse 28 through 34. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing, and recognizing that he had answered them well, asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? Jesus answered, The foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe said to him, Right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one and there is no one else besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw he had answered him intelligently, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one would venture to ask him any more questions. The Pharisees interrupt and uh, Jesus gives them the perfect response, although uh, it, is, it is one that is somewhat obvious. They're still trying to trap Jesus to see if he will say that service to God is above all else. 
In this passage, uh, Jesus quotes what I believe to be the most important book of the Bible, is Deuteronomy. Uh, if you read Deuteronomy, it's, it's a great book. It's literally Moses' last sermon written down to the people of Israel. And it explains everything that's going to happen to them. It, ex- it explains everything that's going to come. It explains, it, it's the downbeat of the rest of the Old Testament and even into the New Testament. It explains everything that's going to happen. And Jesus quotes it here. And when Jesus quotes this section of Scripture, he's actually quoting uh, a greater uh, passage of Scripture. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6. So keep your finger in Mark 12. We're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and read that together because that, all of Deuteronomy chapter 6 is one long commandment. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Moses has just been through the Ten Commandments explaining where the Israelites have been, and he's urging them to obey God's law. And Moses beautifully uh, articulates some thoughts he has for the people because he wants them to prosper in the promised land that has been promised to them. Deuteronomy chapter 6, all the way through. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might." These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied. Then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You shall fear only the Lord your God and shall worship him and swear by his name. You shall not allow other God, you shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the people who surround you. For the Lord your God in the midst of you is a jealous God. Otherwise, the anger of the Lord your God will be kindled against you and he will wipe you off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. You should diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. You shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord that it may be well with you and that you and that may be go well with you and that you may go into the land and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers by driving out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has spoken. When your son asks you in time to come, saying, What do the testimonies and statutes and the judgments mean which the Lord our God commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us from Egypt with a mighty hand. 
Moreover, the Lord showed great and distressing signs and wonders before our eyes against Egypt, Pharaoh and all his household. He brought us out from there in order to bring us in, to give us to the land which he had sworn to our fathers. So the Lord commanded us to observe these statues and to fear the Lord our God for our good, for our good always and for our survival as it is today. It will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all this commandment before the Lord our God, just as he commanded us. Moses reminds the people where they have come from and where they are going. And he reminds them to love well, to love God well and to love others well. And there's just two aspects of that commandment that I want to touch on today. Uh, We could spend hours talking about uh, what it means to love God with all our might and with all our soul. But today I, I just want to focus on loving God with all our heart and with all our mind. Firstly, uh, I try to come up with definitions for these. These are not exact definitions. They cannot be read. They're, they're not complete, but they're just some of the aspects of what it means to love our God well. To love God with all our heart means loving God with all your heart is a full-fledged commitment to righteousness. Loving God with all your heart is a full-fledged commitment to righteousness. Uh, in, in Sunday school for our kids, we've had the privilege of uh, teaching through portions of the Old Testament, and we are currently going through First and Second Samuel. Some of my favorite stories in Scripture are found in those books, and I wanted uh, the kids to see what a full-fledged commitment to righteousness might look like, because we have a great, especially in First Samuel, we have a great comparison of what a broken spirit looks like with David but also an unbroken spirit looks like with Saul. We see how Saul looked good on the outside. Remember, he was taller than everybody. He was great looking. He was handsome. He looks exactly like all of the other nation's kings. But when Samuel gets to David, it says that he was small and ruddy because he had been working out with the sheep all day. On the outside, remember Samuel gets to to Jesse's house, and what does he see? He's like, oh, that brother's a big, strong, handsome guy. That must be the one. And God says, no, not that one, not that one. And he goes through all of David's brothers and finally gets to David and anoints him. And we have a great comparison here of what a full-fledged commitment to righteousness looks like in First and Second Samuel because God looks at, God lets us uh, 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 see as God does. He gives us a, a quick glimpse of the hearts, the hearts of each of these men. So turn, if you would, to uh, 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15. A passage that's very familiar to you, and actually the scribe uh, not, kind of paraphrases this portion of scripture after he repeats to Jesus what the greatest commandment is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves is better than burnt offerings and sacrifices. He's repeating what Samuel says in 1 Samuel 15. We'll just read a small portion of the beginning. Then Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel and how he set himself against him on the way while I was coming up from Egypt. 
Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has, and do not spare him, but put to death both man and woman and child, infant, ox, and sheep, and camel, and donkey. Saul has some very, very clear instructions as to what he is meant to do because of the sin of the Amalekites, because of the sin of King Agag, because of what they have done. They have tried to, to capture Samuel, if you, if you go back in the book. And that is not okay to try and capture the Lord's prophet. So uh, God gives him some instructions that are very, very clear. The word of the Lord comes to Samuel, and Samuel goes back to Saul after the battle and says this. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said, Blessed are you, the Lord. I have carried out the commandment of the Lord. No, you didn't. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and this lowing of oxen which I hear? Saul said, They, 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 not we, they, he's putting the blame, the king is putting the blame on the people. That's what he's doing. He's deflecting. He's saying, this was not my idea. Even though I'm in charge, I'm not taking responsibility. They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, wait, and let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak. Samuel said, is it not true? Though you were little in your own eyes, you were made head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord, Lord anointed you king over Israel. And, gave, and he goes on and, and says, I gave you very specific instructions as to what you were meant to do, but you did not do it. And so Samuel says this, verse 22. Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And Saul again uh, realizes he is, he, he, not again, but he realizes he has sinned right after Samuel says that you're, not gonna, you're, you're done being king. Someone else is going to be king now because of your disobedience. And Saul tries to repent once he hears the consequences of his actions, but it's too late. And God takes the kingdom from him and goes to anoint David. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we see what a maybe halfway commitment to the Lord looks like. When, and then he's caught in sin and he doesn't repent immediately. Turn, if you would, to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 to see what David's response is to being caught in sin. Now, David is given uh, one of the greatest titles in Scripture, a man after God's own heart. And many people have, have tried to figure out what exactly is meant by that. And I think one aspect of it is that when David is caught in sin, and he sins quite frequently, uh, there's, there's many different times that David sins. He sins with Bathsheba. He sins when he uh, takes, uh, the, he takes the um, registry of the entire kingdom. He, he sins uh, with his sons, and he doesn't follow the law. But when David is caught in sin, he repents. He doesn't wait to hear the consequences to see if it's worth it or not of repenting. He repents. And David 
somehow knows about what happened to Saul, as we'll see in Psalm 51. Starting in Psalm 51, verse 14, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice. Otherwise, I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. A broken spirit, a full-fledged commitment to righteousness is what is demanded of you and of me and was demanded of the children of Israel and what Jesus is repeating in Mark chapter 12. Followers of God are required to have a full-fledged commitment to him. That doesn't mean we can't mess up. We're going to mess up. We're going to do it. It's going to happen. But when we do mess up, we ask for forgiveness. We repent. Loving God with your heart is a full-fledged commitment to righteousness. If we continue uh, to read in Mark chapter 12, uh, as Jesus is um, repeating the law back to the scribe, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Now, in verse 29, when he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, that's not, he's not saying that, that uh, he, this isn't some... Uh, in some divinities saying this is the this is the trinity this is no 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 because when when uh excuse me the israelites are getting this information they're getting it right before they're going into the land and they've just come out of egypt where there are many 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 different types of gods and the thing that israel struggles most with is the fact that they only have one through the whole Old Testament. That's what they struggle with. They only have one. That's what God is saying. There's just one me to worship. That's all you got to do. And they keep going to other things. They build the golden calf. They worship Baal. They do many other things. One God. Next, he says, And you shall love the Lord with all your, your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Loving God with all our mind. This is something that uh, several of us don't like to do. I, uh, that's actually one of the ways I uh, most enjoy um, worshiping is through uh, uh, maybe uh, digging into the word very deeply or having a rigorous discuss- theological discussion. And some of us don't necessarily enjoy doing that, and I understand that. But it is what we are called to do. Some of us need to do it in different ways, and I'll explain that in a minute. But... Loving God with all your mind is to engage in his word with your full faculty of thinking. That's the definition I came up for this one. Loving God with all your mind is to engage in his word with your full faculty of thinking. That's the Greek word that Jesus uses for thinking. It's dianoia. It literally means your full faculty of thought. Not kind of thinking about it, not multitasking. Your full faculty of thought is dedicated to serving the Lord. And part of that is reading his word well. Some of us like to leave theology for the theologians, right? We like to, well, you know, R.C. Sproul or Wayne Grudem or John Piper, they can deal with the, you know, hefty stuff, but, you know, I'll just, I'll just meet Jesus in the text. I don't even know what that means. Theology is for everyone. You are a theologian if you have thought it, 
if you've thought about God, you are a theologian. Your thoughts about God your, create your theology. You are a theologian. Even non-believers are theologians because they have thoughts about God. They might be incorrect, obviously, but they are theologians. You are called, <clears throat> you are called excuse me, to love theology. And I'm not saying you're called to, to read the Wayne Grudem Systematic Theology. It's about that thick. It's on my shelf, Pastor Cody's shelf and Pastor Tony's shelf. It's a great book. You don't have to read that whole thing to be a great theologian. It's a great resource, but it is not required of you to read that to be a great theologian. And I would argue this is, uh, does anyone, raise your hand. Do you like, Rick, Rick, do you like movies? Not really. Laura, do you like movies? That book I just talked about? Movies, right? We like people. Okay, raise your hand if you've ever watched a movie. Okay, good. This will be a good illustration then. All right. So when you watch a movie, I want you to imagine, wipe, wipe from your memory all, uh, this is going to hurt some of you, wipe from your memory all knowledge you have of Star Wars. Just real quick. Just real quick. I'll give it back in a minute. Wipe from your memory all the knowledge you have of Star Wars and imagine you walk into a room for the first time as, a, as an adult and you see this one guy kind of out on this limb trembling, missing a hand and kind of crying in a weird way. And then you have this, this big guy dressed in leather, full black leather, holding this red stick looking thing. And he says, Luke, I am your father. Does that information have any pertinence if you haven't seen episode four or most of episode five? No, you don't care at all about that scene. But for some reason, that is the way we read our Bibles. And I don't know why. That is the way we read our Bibles. We like to, we like to read just like three or four verses at a time, or even just maybe one little chapter at a time. And for some reason, that's how we read our Bibles. Uh, let me let you in on a little secret. The numbers in here are not the inspired word of God. The words are. And for some reason, I'm very grateful to the men and the women and the scribes who put all the time to make those reference points for us. That is all they are there for. They are for reference points. So this is what I want you to do next time you do your Bible study. I want you to read the Bible the same way and with the same full faculty of thinking and with the same intelligence as you would watch a movie. And I don't mean you're sitting there on your phone kind of paying half attention to it because your kid wanted to watch it and you didn't really want to watch it. Like, watch it like you... Who went to see Star Wars for the first time in movie theaters? 1977. Did Did you pay attention the whole time? Yeah, you did, because it was so cool. It was a great story. There were things you've never seen before and these connections that you're making. And it was a great time, right? The first time you watch a movie and then you go back and you watch it again and you see the little connections. But you don't, you don't just start a movie halfway through that you've never seen. That bugs the snot out of me to people who do that, by the way. Or to people, some of you in here have gone to see sequels without ever watching the first one. And that is not okay. (laughs) Because you don't know what's going on. You can kind of pick up on what's going on, but you don't understand what's going on. Theology is for you. So this is what I want you to do. This is your homework for the week. Okay, everybody ready? Ready? All right. The book of Genesis is 50 chapters. 50 chapters. 
all right? And they're not very long. It's probably a total of around maybe 25 pages of text. I want you to read that this week. But when you read it, I want you to follow the complete section that you're going through. So when you get to Abraham, Rick, look at me. When you get to Abraham, go all the way through till you're done with Abraham, okay? That's what I want you to do this week. When you get to Isaac, you can probably pair Isaac and Jacob together a little bit, and then Joseph. But when you get to these sections, for some reason, we read Genesis 1-1, and then somehow we think that there's a gap between that and the rest of the text. Anyone ever heard that theory before? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. To put, to put a break in uh, the story of Scripture that Moses is writing of how the earth is created? No, that's not how it was written. I don't think Moses sat down and said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Woo! Okay, now what? No, he kept going. He kept writing. That's what the writers did. The, Paul's letter to Ephesians, every time people ask me, all the time, or, or in, in college, we had to come up with a, a church mission statement or, or, a, or a vision statement. And I remember I told one of my professors, I was like, uh, I would like to submit the book of Ephesians. That's what it is. That is the mission of the church, the book of Ephesians. Read Ephesians from one to chapter, I think it's five or six long. Just read that whole thing in one sitting. And it's like, oh, wow, that made a lot of sense. But for some reason, we read these passages in isolation. So that's your homework for this week. Read the book of Genesis. I think you can handle it. And read it the same way you would watch a movie. Maybe read it all the way through in one sitting. Don't break it up into one chapter at a time because then it's not going to make sense. Let me show you what I mean. Turn in Genesis to chapter 1. I'll do some of your homework for you. Genesis chapter 1. This is, um, if you didn't know, Genesis is my favorite book of the Bible because it is such a great narrative. It is such, if they made it into a movie, man, that'd be awesome. Of course, they'd probably switch out some, some characters and ruin the whole thing. But Genesis, okay, so we know the creation story, right? Is everybody familiar with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was formless and void and darkness and all that stuff? We're familiar with Genesis 1-1, right? All right, so Genesis 1, we're going to go all the way to 4, but we're going to answer some questions that have been asked when, read, when, when the Bible is read in isolation, okay? So in Genesis chapter uh, 3, at the beginning, look in your Bible, Genesis chapter 3, what, is, what do you have for a title there if you have a little header in Genesis 3? The fall, very good, very good, A plus so far on the homework. All right, so we have the fall, and, and what happens is this, the serpent comes to Eve, and Eve is deceived and takes the fruit, right? But there's some very important things that are missed, because it wasn't just a disobedience to God, but it is, it is how they disobeyed God. So if we go back to chapter 1, we'll figure out what's going on in chapter 3. So let's go to chapter 1. Uh, let's see, where should we start? Uh, let's start in, uh, doo -doo 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 -doo. we'll start in verse 9. Then God said, let the waters, let the waters below in the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters was called the seas. And what is, what is the next line there? 
And God saw that it was good. Very good. You guys are doing so good. All right. And then uh, he said, do, 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 do. We'll skip down a little bit. Uh, verse 17, God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. What's the next line? Very good. God saw that it was good. And then he says, uh, verse 25, uh, God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle of their, after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And the next line is? Very good. Okay, so th- there's a theme here. God is creating, and he's seeing that it is good. Let's go to chapter 3. Go to chapter 3. Uh, verse 6, how does that open? When the woman what? Saw that the tree was good for food. Do you think there might be a connection between God seeing and creating and knowing what is good Versus the woman deciding to take it into her own hands after being told it's not good for you. There might be a connection there. But if we read Genesis 1 on Monday, then we read Genesis 2 on Tuesday, and then we get to Genesis 3 on Wednesday, are we going to remember that? Probably not. Read it as a story. This creation account goes all the way 1 through 3. All right? So let's go. It actually, and, and there's portions of it that keep going. So let's keep going. In chapter Two. Oh, this is this is one that <clears throat> this is one of my biggest theological uh, pet peeves. In, ver- in chapter two, verses fifteen through seventeen. Chapter two. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate and to keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, "From any tree of the garden you may f- eat freely, but from the tree of good from of knowledge and good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die." Okay, so you guys know the, the in, in, chapter, in chapter 3, in the rest of the stories of Adam and Eve, do we have any record of Adam and Eve dying until, like, the genealogies? No. We, have, we don't have any record of them dying, especially not, and, and they eat the fruit. Do they die that day? No. They don't die that day. Has anyone ever heard, this is, this is oh, man, if you ever teach a class and you teach this, please don't invite me. Um... But has anyone ever heard that, that, that it was a spiritual death? Anyone ever heard that before? Oh, good night. Has any, does it say spiritual death? No, it doesn't. Could we be reading into the text when we think that it's spiritual death? Yeah. All right, go to chapter 3 and see what God does. Remember, they, real, they eat the fruit, they realize they're naked, and they try to cover themselves up with leaves and bushes and stuff. What does God give them instead? What does God give them to clothe themselves? Animal skin. Okay, Jay, you're a hunter, right? When you skin an animal, does the animal have to die? Yeah. Yeah, we have deer hunters in here. When you skin an animal, it's dead. Maybe God kills these animals and gives them skin to show the rest of the Old Testament what sacrifice is supposed to look like, what atonement for your sin is supposed to look like. Maybe? You with me? You're tracking? You got it? I'm looking at you. Got it? All right. Chapter 3. Let's keep going. Now, this one is a little tricky. This one is tricky because I don't know how they, they translated some of the words that they translated here. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now that biblical scholars sometimes fall a little short. That's why I encourage people 
to uh, use resources like Blue Letter Bible or different resources so they can look at it in the original language and see how the translators did. Because what a translator does uh, for biblical scholarship is they translate their book. They don't keep going through the rest. So a word used in Genesis that might mean this, they kind, sometimes they have to guess if it's, not a lot, a to, if it's not used a lot in Genesis. But if it's used in the rest of the story, the rest of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, they can make a more educated guess. So this one is a little more tricky, but it is the little downbeat of the rest of the story. Genesis three fourteen through 17, the, the, the curse, right? The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman, he said, this is where they have not done a great job translating. This is what it should say. It says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow in childbirth and your conception. That is how that should read. If you, if you take the literal Hebrew text, that is how it should read. It's not about increasing pain in childbirth, but the fact now you were supposed to go forth and multiply and it was going to be this great thing. But guess what? Your kids are going to die. You're going to bring them into this sinful world. But I'm also going to multiply your conception. we got to keep reading to find out why. In pain, you will bring forth... Uh, what word do you have? In pain, you will bring forth what? Children. This, again, is not a great translation because it is a masculine noun. What is the masculine word for children? Sons. Sons. In pain, you will bring forth... Sons, because the rest of the story is going to be looking for what? The rest of the Old Testament, this entire line, is going to be looking for what? A son. A son. In pain you will bring forth sons. That's how that should read. Does that change, does that change the way you read that a little bit? Going from children to sons? Yeah, I, I hope it does, because the rest of the scripture, because then we go, from, we go from, from Adam to Seth, and we keep on going, and then we get to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, and then we get to Judah has two sons. And then, do you guys remember the story of Achan in, in um, the book of Joshua? Achan, you remember that story? He took, he took the stuff from Jericho, and what happens to him and his family? Anyone ever, that's a weird, kind of a weird story to be in the Old Testament. I mean, the Old Testament has a lot of weird stories. But the reason that it's in there is because he is from the line of Judah, and they have to explain why that line is gone, and now it goes to Perez, who is the great, 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 great grandfather of King David. And if you go to the book of Ruth, you can see that line and how it keeps going. Read the Bible the same way you watch a movie, and it will change your life. It will change the way you read scripture because it's written as a story. It's meant to be read that way too. We would like to um, give you an opportunity in in closing to uh, love God not only with your heart but also with your mind. So I'm going to ask, I asked Kevin uh, Freitag if he would lead us in in a closing song. Um, and for this song, I'm just going to say this. If you need to stay seated and worship, stay seated and worship. If you need to stand up 
and lift your hands up and give it all to God, do that. If you need to leave and, and go out in the, in the lobby and just think for a minute, do that. Do whatever you need to do, but I do encourage you, if you can, stand and, and sing with us. We're going to be singing. Um, it's basically Psalm 34 put to music, and I want to worship you to worship God with your heart and with your mind, thinking about the words he's singing, and also to give you an opportunity, uh, right after service, we have a great opportunity for you to engage fully with your full faculty of thought with our adult discipleship groups. Michelle Nord, today is going to be talking about Christian nationalism versus uh, what an actual biblical worldview is. Ben Bay is going to be going through the book of Colossians. Justin and Andre are going through the book of Acts. I'm going to be uh, talking about uh, biblical and systematic theology uh, in here. Please join a group if you haven't already, and love God with your Mind. I also want to give you um, just a res- just several resources for at home. Uh, this is my f- probably my favorite Bible podcast. If anyone asks, it's called Teach Me the Bible podcast. Anybody, if you can remember that, and all that Dr. Klingler does, he's one of my uh, professors from uh, seminary, all he does is walks through chapters at a time explaining where it falls in the story, what is going on, and why it's important. It's a great study. And if any time you want to have a Bible study, people always ask me, like, when are, when are you free? Just stop. If you're free, I'm free, man. I'm a pastor. I just sit in my office and wait for something to happen. <laughs> just give me a call. Give Tony a call. Give Cody a call. We would love to study the Bible with you. Don't wait until you have a question to come ask a pastor to do a Bible study with you. Just jump in. We'll, we'd love to do it with you. Absolutely. There's plenty of people in here who would love to go through Bible studies with you. Do it. Get after it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind. Remember your homework for this week? It will be graded. Genesis 50, or Genesis 1 through 50, just read it the same way you watch Star Wars, and it will make a lot more sense to you, I promise. As Pastor Aaron mentioned, The words of this song are the words of Psalm 34 in a slightly different order, potentially, but you can find them there. I sought the Lord And He answered me And delivered me From every fear Those who look on Him are radiant, they'll never be ashamed, they'll never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard me, and saved me.
benediction and I encourage you to stay for our, our uh, time of fellowship grab a coffee and some donuts and also stay for our uh, discipleship groups now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory majesty dominion and authority before all time and now 
and forever. Amen. Have a great week.